Let's remain standing for the reading of God's Word. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul asks these questions. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that we would embrace the message of this passage, that it would serve as the corrective we need for how we think about ourselves, our lives, how we think about our church and church in general. Lord, you tell us to pray that you would send laborers out into the harvest field. And Lord, we thank you that you have sent laborers out. And so this morning, even as we have our gathering for worship, we want to pray for Joseph at Redeemer Hutto, who is in his third week of public services. Lord, we want to pray for Johnny at Hutto Methodist and Ski at Christ the Rock and David at the Bridge and Russell at Hutto Community Church and John at Grace Baptist. God, I pray that you would bless these, our partners in the gospel. Lord, as they step up to share your word, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you would accomplish your work in them and in their uh, local church. Bless my brothers, bless these churches, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, today we are finishing up chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. And one thought I had this week as I was studying this passage is that with all of Paul's instruction on the cross, like with all of his teaching in these chapters on the priority of the gospel, one thing that he has not said about the church of Corinth is, hey, y'all are killing it when it comes to evangelism. Like he never says that to them. Why is that? Like, well, I mean, it's because wherever there's division, like in a local church, wherever there is a picking of teams or a picking of sides, wherever you see in the local church the exalting of self, wherever there is quarreling over inconsequential matters, evangelism is forgotten. It becomes an afterthought. The idea of living on mission or living according to your purpose, that those ideas, those concepts are discarded. And so in chapter 3, Paul pretty much puts the nail, the final nail in the coffin of his case against the division within the church of Corinth and within any local church. And I, as I read it this week and studied it, I thought, you know, if only the church in the United States would follow like this directive, if we would only heed this message, like we really would be one church, wouldn't we? Like we would be one church united on the same mission together. 
we would be able to be thankful for the gifting of others instead of being resentful or envious of other gifting and other ministries. Like the Christian celebrity culture that should not exist would not exist. If we obeyed the teaching of this passage we're going to study this morning, and as a result, the world could hate us for all the right reasons. Instead of the bad reasons, the dumb reasons, we keep giving them. Sure, the world's still going to hate us because we're not of them. We're not of the world, but they would be hating us for all the right reasons. And so in chapter 3, to anyone who would ever think of dividing over personality or gifting or style or ego or personal preference, Paul explains to them just how church actually works. Like if you ever wonder, like how does church work? How does this all happen? In this passage, Paul explains how church works. And he basically says this, your responsibility, our responsibility is faithfulness. God's responsibility is fruitfulness. Like your responsibility is just to stay in your lane, to do what God has told you to do, what God has given you gifts to do, to stay within like those parameters. Let that be the boundaries of your life. Be faithful with the gifts He's given you, with the experiences He's brought you through, in the place where He has placed you. But God's responsibility is to do something eternal and glorious with that. God's responsibility is fruitfulness. Think about it this way. Anything that is truly good that you love about your church or about your small group or about your Christian experience in general, God did that. God did that. I mean, you can certainly say thanks to people who were involved, but God did that. Like anything that's truly good about our church, about your small group, about what God has done in your life, God is the one who has done that. Now, we should be grateful for every study, for every sermon, for every retreat we get to go on, but we need to know that God is the one who took that and brought life from it. He brought growth from it. And so we can be thankful for those God has used along the way, and especially when we see them and see ourselves with a proper perspective. And this is what Paul wants us to understand about us and about our leaders. This is true of every believer who is a minister. Like every believer is a minister of the Gospel. This is true of all of our leaders, elders, and pastors. We are simply servants of Christ. Like that's who we are. And so Paul writes kind of to the church regarding the people that they would tend to exalt and make much of. Paul just asks this question. Uh, hey, who then is Apollos? And who's Paul? Well, you're Paul. You wrote half the New Testament. Like you're Paul. You're the one who took the Gospel to the Gentiles. The one that Jesus woke up from His spiritual stupor on that Damascus road and made Him blind so that He could see. That Paul. The one who brought the Gospel to Corinth. You're Paul. Who's Apollos? And what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed. 
The Greek word there is diakonos, used in uh, other passages to refer to deacons or servants of the church, people who served as table waiters in Acts chapter 7. See, that's our job. Christians, that's what we do. We set the table, but God makes the feast. God's the one who uses what we bring to satisfy the longing of the hearts of those who are ministered to by it. God did that. So we don't need to exalt Paul. We don't need to exalt Apollos or any man or woman. Like I remember hearing years ago of this early contemporary Christian artist named Keith Green that I really loved. Keith did a concert one time and before he went out for his concert, people were cheering his name. Keith, 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 Keith. And then he walked out on stage to the applause, to the you know acclaim, to the excitement of that energized audience. He sits down at his piano and then he turns to the audience and says this, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God for you to exalt a man. And there was a hush. <laughs> and then he started playing his piano. Guys, it's not about me. And it's not about you. It really is about Christ. We are merely servants. In fact, Paul goes on to say in the next chapter, in verse 1, he says, says a person should think about us this way, as servants, now a different word, huperetes, which is the word under rower. Think of a galley ship and the person whose job is on the bottom deck to row the ship. The idea of this word is somebody who serves at someone else's discretion. They just jump to. When you snap, they say, what do you want me to do? We are servants. Think about it this way. As servants of Christ and as managers, the word there is simply the word for steward, a household steward, someone who oversees the household that is not his own. Like Paul says, listen, the way you should think about this is this. We're just simply servants at the beck and call of another and household stewards governing something, managing something that's not our own. And he says in verse 2 of chapter 4, in, in this regard, it is required of managers that they simply be found faithful. See, one day when we stand before Christ at the judgment seat, we hope to hear, well done, good and not fruitful servant. Because that's not our responsibility. We can't manage that. If we think we can, we'll manipulate the results and people twisting the arms of folks so that we can get what we think we need. We're not responsible for that. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so not only are we stewards, I'm, I'm sorry, servants of Christ, we're also stewards of Christ's church and of the mysteries of God. These mysteries aren't ours. They belong to Him. Like we're stewards of a treasure that's not ours. And we just need to be faithful. I remember one time years and years ago, I was introduced. I got up to speak and the speaker, the crowd had never heard me speak. And this guy goes on and on about me as if I was the greatest thing in the world. Like he told about everything that I would lie about on my resume. I mean, I was awesome by the time he got done. In fact, the more he spoke, the more I thought these people were going to be greatly disappointed. 
The more he spoke, the more embarrassed I got. He just went on and on about how great I was. And so when he was done, I got up and said, all right, brother, you've convinced me. I'm ready to ask Bobby into my heart. Does that sound heretical? It should. It should. Because it grieves the Spirit of God for us to exalt a man or a woman. Remember, every Christian now in this passage with special emphasis on leaders, but every Christian is merely a servant and a steward and we are dependent. Dependent first on one another, right? I mean, think about it. What meaningful thing have you accomplished in your life on your own without the help of anyone? Now, I know you've accomplished things in your own life, but they're all bad that you've done on your own. But what meaningful thing have you accomplished in your life completely on your own? without the help of anyone. If you can't think of any, that's good. If you can think of some, I'll just ask you this. Who taught you how to do that? A mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a friend? Paul says, each has the role the Lord has given. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Once again, what humility. Paul's just saying, listen, I stayed in my lane. Right? Apollos and I, we may have different callings, sure. But we don't have separate ministries. There's only one ministry here. There's only one thing happening here and we each have a role in that. Right? He who plants and he who waters are one. The ministry of planting and watering are one ministry. And they are not independent of each other, but they're interdependent on each other. And so there's no room for boasting on a part of Paul. No room for bragging. Like one of the things I hate is what I call insta-bragging. Right? Like on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Whenever a church like tells you how awesome they are on their social media, like last week, we had record numbers. And they tell you that number. Last week, this many people came to Christ. Last week, we had this many baptisms. That just drives me crazy. Now, I'm in fellowship with a bunch of pastors in our community that I love. And I think, how does that benefit the body of Christ? How does that benefit those guys who are working their tails off, serving the church to see that kind of come over their Instagram feed and they read that and people in their church read that and they think, man, we're missing out. We're messing up. That benefits no one. Enough of that. For we are God's co-workers. The word there is the Greek word that we, from which we get the word synergy. We work together. That was true of Paul and Apollos. Guys, that's true of me. Like right now, I'm up in front of y'all preaching but why do you hear me? <laughs> because Jeremy's back there doing his job. Like Jeremy's running the sound and week after week, he makes it possible for you to hear me. He plays the most important instrument on our worship team. He's the one who's controlling the mix to make sure it sounds just right. 
And so before you think Bobby's got it going on, don't forget Jeremy. And before you think Bobby's got it going on, don't forget Zach. I mean, every week I get up here after the first couple songs and I think the same thing. Man, I hope I don't mess this up. Because it was so good. Like Zach led us into the throne room. Zach led us into the presence of God with this great worship team. Man, I hope I don't mess this up. And then I think of people like uh, Catherine who makes sure that like everybody has a seat and everything works together and that when we come to this table of communion that there are the elements for communion. Her and Tracy and others make this happen. I think of those who greet us at the door. People like Joe and uh, Nancy who make us feel welcome. I need them. I can't do this without them. And I think of people like Rod and Sherry and Karen and Lizzie and Cindy and Shane. These are people who make what happens up here when I'm speaking worth anything. Like I'm here speaking, but there's an army standing with me that makes this possible. These are the ones who are reaching into this community, who are welcoming you when you come, who are praying for you, who are aiding you in your struggles. They are there for you and they are my co-laborers, my co-workers with God. But even if they weren't here, I'd have Brian Byer and Jack Lehman and Charlie Wenzel who taught me how to open the Bible and read it and understand it and be able to teach it. I'd have Logos Bible software that multiplies my time when I study so I can go deeper into the Word. I'd have a great children's ministry team and student ministry team that provides ministry for the kids while those children workers are praying for the moms and dads who are in here. And so guys, we need to understand. I mean, that's just my partial list. Like, who's on your list? Because we need to understand there are no self-made pastors. There are no self-made men, no self-made women. And if you ever meet one, run from them because the only thing they could make on their own is a huge mess. See, we are servants. We are stewards. We are dependent on one another. And ultimately, we're truly dependent on God. Like we, leaders and believers, all us ministers, owe all of our fruitfulness to what God has done. After all, guys, who do you think orchestrated all this? Who do you think made this happen? Who fit all of this together? Paul puts it this way, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Remember, our responsibility is faithfulness. God's responsibility is fruitfulness. That's why in Acts uh, chapter 3, after Peter heals this man who is lame, and he's standing there with Peter and the crowd gathers and they're all psyched. They're like, like, what is going on here? Like, who did this? We just want to figure all this out. Peter says to the crowd, hey, why are you staring at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this guy walk? Obviously, it wasn't us. Like, God is the one who did this. 
I mean, obviously. Like when I was a youth pastor, I would train up a group of um, young men who would preach at the churches in Mexico when we'd go on a mission trip. And I would tell them every time, guys, people are going to come up to you afterwards, people on your team, and they're going to tell you what a great job you did, how, how well it went, and you know everything. And you're going to be tempted to say, oh, it was just the Lord. It was just the Lord. Kind of that humble thing. It was just the Lord. We want you to understand, everyone knows it was just the Lord. Like, we all get that. It wasn't you. It was the Lord. But next time when somebody compliments you, how about this? Just say, hey, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, and they know. Only The only way anything eternal, anything of substance, anything that matters is brought from what you offered is because God is faithful. And so we're servants. We're stewards. We're dependent on one another. And ultimately, we're dependent on God for any fruitfulness in our ministries. And finally, we are accountable to Christ. We are accountable to Christ. That doesn't mean that we are not accountable to each other. That doesn't mean that your pastors and your elders are not accountable to you or to one another. We are, but what that means is we know that we can miss some stuff, can't we? Like we can miss some stuff. You may think somebody is just awesome. They're amazing. They have it going on. But you may miss some stuff that's going on. Jesus never does. Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Jesus knows who's faithful. Jesus knows what part we play. Understand this. God's servants are for the church. The church is not for God's servants. Let me say it again. God's servants are for the church. The church is not. It does not exist for God's servants. Like this church does not exist as a venue for the expression of our egos or even our gifting. It doesn't exist for the expression of my ego or my gifting. It exists for Christ alone. And Christ gave servants to His church. And in verse 9, Paul shifts from the metaphor of planting and watering to that of building. He says, we are God's co-workers. You are God's field. God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. And so Paul tells the Corinthian church to build with care. Like, guys, what are you building? Like, what will you leave for the next generation? And on what foundation are you building? Paul says that no one can lay any foundation other than what has already been laid down. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. And so within the context of what Paul is saying here, it makes it really clear that he's talking about building a local church. Like he's addressing the Corinthian church and he's saying, listen, y'all are working together. We are co-laborers and we are building this local church there in the city of Corinth. And we are accountable to Christ for how we build it. He says in verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it. 
because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see, Jesus deeply cares about His church and He will personally hold everyone accountable in how they build it. Like Paul's illustration here stresses the quality we should strive for in what we're building in a local church. He's saying, guys, use the best materials. And the materials that He names, two different kinds, are not. some of them aren't even really building materials, right? When's the last time you built a house out of precious stones? See, that's not his point. His point is uh, <clears throat> that there are two kinds of materials. One that can handle a fire and another one that cannot. One that burns and there's nothing left and one that survives when it goes through the fire of the judgment seat of Christ. That's what it means by the day. The day of Christ's judgment. Maybe at this point you're getting a little Three Little Pigs vibe. Right? House of straw, house of wood, house of stone. When I tell my grandson Bo that story, I name the three little pigs, Timmy, Johnny, and Bobby. The oldest little pig, who I say is the lazy pig, builds his house out of straw. That's my brother Timmy. I can say that about him because it's true. Like when we built a fort when we were kids, he just kicked back and let us do all the work. And then it was his fort. Like... Lazy Timmy. I always tell him, I can't wait for my grandson to meet my brother Timmy one day and, and call him Lazy Timmy. Uh, but then there's Johnny. Johnny is a hard worker. Johnny Pig is the guy who builds his house out of wood. He cuts the tree down. He breaks it into logs. He makes a wooden house. And then there's, of course, Bobby Pig, who's the smartest and the hardest worker of them all because I'm the one telling the story. You can tell your story your way. I tell mine as I'm the great pig, right? Well, guys, that's what's happening here at the judgment seat of Christ. Remember, we can hold people accountable and one another accountable, but there's going to come a day when everything is brought to light. And whether it burns up or it stays like purified and shiny and new, well, that's up to what we bring to the table. Like it is possible to build your life. Build your marriage, build your family, build our church with such substandard materials that on that day, you have nothing at all to show for your labor. Now, if that reality doesn't sober up the church of Corinth and break up their cliques and stop their squabbling about inconsequential matters, what will it take on that day? Each one's work will become obvious. It will be shown for what it is. Like, how does that make you feel? A little bit nervous? A little anxious? Good. I mean, that's good. Like, do you ever even think about that day? Like, we should think much about that day. I think it was Martin Luther who said he had Two days on his calendar. Today and that day. And we need to be thinking about that day. And so in this final section of Scripture, Paul asks 
three important questions that can help us prepare for that day. And here are the questions. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you have? And do you know whose you are? And so quickly first, do you know who you are? Remember the church of Corinth was having an identity crisis. And so Paul just asked them this question. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that the Spirit of God lives in you? Guys, don't you even know this? Don't you realize who you are? (laughs) I mean, it's clear from their behavior that they either didn't know that or they weren't grasping all the implications of that. And in verse 16, all the pronouns are plural. So Paul is literally asking this, and only Southerners can understand this, right? Don't y'all know that y'all are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Now later on in chapter 6, he will say individually we are the, a temple of the Holy Spirit and that God's Spirit lives in us. But here he is saying, listen, God's, God dwells among you as a church in a unique way whenever y'all gather together to worship. And so he wants them to see the significance of that. The significance of God being God's people in the city of Corinth. He wants them to see the significance that the local church together constitutes God's dwelling place in that city. That right now, even now, we are the hope of our city like this church and others within our community that are preaching the gospel and hold to the word of God we are the hope of this city D.A. Carson asks this way he says haven't you grasped that the spirit of God animates the body of Christ on earth the church the community of the redeemed That is the building, the temple on which all of the builders have been working all along. And so he, Paul in verse 17 makes it clear that you understand what you're building when he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, that's the building. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and that is what you are, church. That is what we are, plural. And if anyone destroys it, God will destroy them. Think about Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, chapter 7. I mean, think about, you know, later in 1 Corinthians when Paul says, because of the substandard way in which you take communion, some of you are sick and some have died. Like if you're responsible for destroying the local church, God will respond in kind. And if you destroy the church, you ultimately will destroy yourself because that is who you are. And so how is the local church being destroyed today? Well, some of the ways are through divisions, just like here. Pride and having our focus off Christ when your focus is not on the cross. There are divisions. Compromise. I think of doctrinal compromise here. It's like a church in a culture hoping to change the culture's narrative about them 
If we just stop making a big deal about this, maybe the culture that is guaranteed by Jesus Himself, guaranteed to hate us, maybe they will like us. Guys, the only way the world will like us is if we stop being us. Is if we stop being the church. Or the worship of leaders, the celebrity culture, or boasting about things that only God has done. Lack of discipleship, making converts and not disciples. Lack of evangelism, forgetting why we are here. Lack of service to the church. Like I thought this week that I shared it with my pastor friends who I gather with every couple weeks that one of the things I, that I've come to really not like is whenever a modifier is added to the word church. Like you hear about the purpose-driven church. The multicultural church, the multi-ethnic church, the multi-generational church. You hear about the Bible teaching church. <laughs> Why don't we just say church? I mean, that is a sacred term. Church is the called out from among the nations. It's the elect from every people that Christ is calling to Himself. All those churches are all of those things or they wouldn't be church. And the only reason we use those kind of terms is so often out of pride to set ourselves apart, to differentiate ourselves from brothers and sisters in Christ at other churches that are doing everything they can to reach their city with the Gospel. How dare we? Can I just tell you, the reason I run from this isn't simply because I don't have it in me anymore to play those games, but because I know that I have it in me to be just that arrogant. We must flee it. Am I building my church with quality materials like humility and contentment, patience, perseverance, and sacrifice? Or am I building my church with substandard materials like pride and impatience and laziness, bitterness and disharmony, Am I neglecting ministry opportunities that could build up my local church? Have I failed to see the local church with the same love and priority that Christ sees it as His temple? And what things in my life have I consistently placed ahead of Christ's church? Do you know who you are? And do you know what you have? Paul writes, so let one... Let no one boast in human leaders for everything is yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, everything is yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Don't settle just to be Paul's or Apollos's or Cephas. You have all of them. That's your inheritance. And when you think your inheritance is less, you will squabble trying to get more. But all things are yours. And finally, do you know whose you are? Because he answers that question too. You belong to Christ. You belong to Christ. You see, our role is simple. Our responsibility is simply to be faithful. God's responsibility is to be fruitful. Do you know who you are? The hope of our city. Do you know what He has given you? All things. And do you know whose you are? You belong to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for my brothers and sisters in this room.
for these people who are co-workers. They are God's co-workers in the work of this ministry. Lord, I pray we would encourage each other with these words and even now as we prepare our heart for the table of communion. Lord, I pray we do business with You and if there's anything that uh, in this message that has exposed sin in our life, pettiness, bitterness, grievance of any kind, Lord, I pray that right now we'd take a moment in the quietness of our heart and just confess that as sin. Turn our back on it and ask for Your strength in walking away from it. Well, Jesus, I thank You that uh, because of what this table represents, everything, everything is ours. You gave us that through Your cross, through Your death, through Your sacrifice. Thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. In his excellent commentary on this passage, uh, Gordon Fee writes, these five items, the world, life, death, the present, and the future, are the ultimate tyrannies of human existence to which people are in lifelong bondage as slaves. For Paul, the death and resurrection of Jesus marked the turning of the ages in such a way that nothing lies outside Christ's jurisdiction. In the form of the cross, God has planted His flag on planet earth and marked it off as His own possession. For those in Christ Jesus, the things that were formerly tyrannies are now our new birthright. This is the glorious freedom of the children of God. See guys, our responsibility is to be faithful. It's God's responsibility to be fruitful. And that started when you trusted Christ as your Savior. What do you have to do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then everything, all of the sacrifice, all of the riches of Christ is assigned to you. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Guys, all we need to do is trust in Him. And so we come to this table to remember that on the cross, in His body, Jesus bore our sins. And this is His body. Do this in remembrance of Him. And on the cross, Jesus shed His blood and the Scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And on the night of the Last Supper, He told His disciples that this cup is the new covenant in My blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of Him. Lord Jesus, You tell us in Your Word that if as often as we eat this bread and take this cup, we're proclaiming Your death until You come. Your death. The cross. We're not even proclaiming the resurrection 
But through your sacrifice, we're proclaiming at this table the scandal of a crucified Messiah. The foolishness of the cross, as Paul writes about. In this table, we remember that you gave yourself for sinners like us. That on the cross of Christ, your Father treated you as we deserve to be treated so that for all eternity, we might be treated by Him as only you deserve to be treated. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, church, the uh, Scripture tells us that Jesus, the Messiah, is the light to the Gentiles, the hope of the nations, and yet Scripture also affirms that the church is the hope of the nations. In fact, the passage we looked at today says that uh, this church, our local church, is the hope of this city. And so go from here and be the church. Like if we're ever going to give every man, woman, and child in greater Austin repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the Gospel, it's going to mean that every believer is on board with that message. Every disciple in our church and the churches around us are armed with the Gospel and taking it forward. And so this coming Sunday is Easter. And you have at your seat a couple invites as Trey said at the beginning because this is the minimal. Like each one of us can invite two people to church. Some of y'all could invite a hundred and so grab a hundred of these before you leave. If you're going to invite a hundred, take a hundred and invite folks to come and hear the message of hope, the message of the Gospel, and see the church in action next week. God bless you church. I'll see you at Good Friday.